Man, I want to thank everybody for coming out. Merry Christmas, y'all. Merry Christmas. I hope by now uh, we've got our nativity set up outside. You know, uh, the shepherds brought their flocks in from uh, the fields to Bethlehem. Ours has to come down Abercorn Street. So it's, it's taking a little bit more time than we anticipated, but uh, hopefully there'll be a live nativity set up outside with camels. And man, I thought my brother-in-law was out there, but it was just a donkey they brought in. And you know, it was one of those, just kidding about that. But anyway, I uh, hope you guys will uh, take your kids out there, let them enjoy that on the way out. That'll be awesome. Can I just say thank you for wearing your mask tonight? I know it's a hassle. I know it's aggravating. But you know what? It is just a simple way to show consideration to other people. And you know, that's what just sets us apart as followers of Christ, that willingness to do little sacrificial things that put other people first. And so thank you for that. And can I just say thank you for coming to celebrate Christmas Eve with us? Man, we love this. This has been a, a horrible, hard year of global pandemic and, you know, social distancing and all that kind of stuff. I've been quarantined twice, man, once because I was exposed to somebody with COVID, once because I had COVID. Uh, man, I had a very mild case, you know, just enough to get the super blood. And so I'm the universal donor. If you need me, call me, y'all. I'm here for you. All right. I got the antibodies. I got the blood. I'm good. But let me just say, uh, for a while there, I thought our nativity scene this year was going to look like this. Have y'all seen this? The Zoom nativity. <laughs> Donkey's got his own feed. I think that's an upgrade for him, right? Now, you know, how many of y'all are thankful for Zoom and sick to death of it at the same time? Can I hear amen? You know, man, I know I'm feeling that. Somebody told me that if 2020 was a pinata, this is what it would look like. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Go ahead and stir that hornet's nest up, right? I mean, it's like, man, we've been stung over and over and over again over the last year. But by God's grace, we're together today to celebrate Christmas Eve. And I'm so thankful for that. I hope this is going to be a refreshing time for us and a refocusing time for us that'll get us refocused and moving into 2021 in a really healthy way. You know, I heard a great story about, uh, you know, Travis Tritt. We got any Travis Tritt fans here today? Travis, oh, there they are. There they are. You know, when I first came to the church, I asked the elders of our church, what kind of music do people like in our church? They said, we like everything. We like everything from country to Western. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I know what kind of hand I've been dealt here, right? Uh, things have certainly changed a little bit since then. But, but you know, Travis Tritt is kind of a country, uh, super, country music superstar. But when he got started, he started the same way everybody else in country music starts. And that is by playing, you know, these seedy, out-of-the-way joints and nightclubs and biker bars and, and sometimes really dangerous places to be. And he said, inevitably, sometime in the night, a fight would break out over the dumbest possible thing. But he eventually discovered a surefire way to calm the house down, and he said it worked 100% of the time. He said when the bar fight would break out and start getting out of hand, and I mean the bikers are reaching for pool cues, he'd give the band a signal, and he'd start playing Silent Night. Silent Night. He said it didn't matter if it was the middle of July. When he started Silent Night, the house got quiet, <laughs> the fight would stop. People would look up at the stage and see what's going on. He said sometimes the old hard-knocked bikers, man, would start crying, you know, while he's on stage sweating and singing Silent Night in the middle of July. And you know something? I get that. I get that. I'm telling you, there's something about the Christmas story. If you understand it and you focus on it, it will refocus hope in you. You know, somebody has said you can live two months without food. You can live three days without water. You can't live at all without hope. And I believe that's true. And friends, the more we focus on the hope that we have in Jesus, I'm telling you, no matter how bad the year gets, the more refreshed we will become. Now, friends, uh, for the last 2,000 years, Christmas, the Christmas story has brought peace on earth and goodwill toward men to just about everybody who will drill down into it. 
And you know, here at Compassion Christian for the last three weeks, we've been doing a deep dive. And of course, Christmas marks the time when God chose for Jesus to arrive in a manger. Now, that was not an accident. That wasn't bad luck. God chose for Jesus to arrive in a manger. Now, friends, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was God in a human body. And he proved that by doing these remarkable, unexplainable miracles, the most dramatic of which was when he rose from the dead after he was crucified. Now, that's history. You can choose to believe it. You can choose not to believe it. But this manger represents the fact that God chose to do the most unusual thing in the most unusual possible way because he loves you and he wanted you to know it. Now, if you've been with us at the church for the last three weeks, or, or if you just know the Christmas story, then you know that Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem because there were no guest rooms for him. There were no guest rooms available for his family when they arrived in Bethlehem. And so they used a manger like this as a crib because that's all they had. Now, last week in our services, we explored, you know, the amazing humility of the people who showed up in Bethlehem to celebrate the birth of Jesus. There were shepherds who were kind of the outcast of the Jewish culture. I mean, they were, they were roughnecks and everybody knew it. But man, they were told that if they would leave those hills and go into Bethlehem, they could celebrate the birth of the Son of God. And brother, they packed it up, and that's what happened. Same thing happened to a group of you know, Babylonian intellectuals. We call them the wise men. They were called magi back in the day. Now, by the time the magi arrived in Bethlehem, you know, Jesus wasn't in a manger anymore. Joseph had gotten a job. Uh, he had gotten a home. They were living in a house. But those magi brought super expensive gifts to honor the birth of the new king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If you know the story, you know that. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Now, friends, God chose for Jesus to be born in the most humble possible way so that we would know today, if you come from very humble circumstances, if life has humbled you, he knows and he's there for you. God chose simple shepherds, the outcasts of the day, to be the first to hear the good news about the birth of Jesus, so that if you feel like you're an outcast, if you feel like you haven't fit in very well in your life, he knows you, and he loves you, and he chooses you. And Jesus chose, uh, God chose a group of pagan scientists, you know, to come all the way from Iran to Israel. We call them wise men today because they looked at the evidence, and they made a wise decision. And man, they worshiped Jesus and they brought gifts to his family that kept them safe through a really horrible time. Now, friends, if this last year has been tough for you, this COVIDian season has been tough for you, Jesus knows what tough is like. He came into the world in a tough way. He lived in a tough time. He relates to where you are right now. But Jesus was not just chosen to arrive in a hard way. Listen, man, God chose Jesus to thrive, believe it or not, in a carpenter shop. I mean, it's kind of an amazing thing. Jesus was not born in a university. Uh, you know, he was not born in some fancy hospital somewhere. He was born in Bethlehem and then grew up working for a living in a carpenter shop. It's kind of a cool thing. Now, I love that about Jesus. Um, hang on here, everybody. As far as we know, Jesus only stayed in a manger for a couple of days. And then his dad, super responsible guy, got a job. He got a job doing what he knew how to do, which is working in a carpenter shop. And that's how he took care of his family. He was a good man, took care of his folks, meant to. Now, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, it's, it's a great passage, you ought to look this up. It says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, 
the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own hometown of Nazareth, right? And then listen to what it says next. The child grew and became strong. Now, I don't know when you think about Jesus what you think of. I know people who think of Jesus like some pasty white intellectual or something like that. And if you do, you never read the Bible. The Bible says he grew up to be strong, but not just strong, smart. It said he was, he was filled with wisdom. And we all know guys who are physically strong and mentally weak, but Jesus wasn't that way. Man, Jesus grew up strong. He grew up with wisdom. And it also says that he had the grace of God about him. What that means? That means that there was a presence about him. He was solid. You know, it wasn't like uh, one way on the outside, something else on the inside. But that Jesus was strong all the way through, and people knew that the minute they met him. It's kind of a beautiful thing when you think about it. Now, I love the fact that Jesus didn't grow up in some sanitized, insulated, sterilized palace somewhere, you know, kind of place that most of us would never be able to relate to. Dude, he grew up around wood and work and sweat. And I mean, labor, and he got it. He knows exactly what life is like for us. And I love that about him. Now, his stepdad, Joseph, was a carpenter. Back in the olden days, if your stepdad was, if your dad was a carpenter, guess what you were? You're a carpenter too, man. You grew up in that family. Now, the Greek word for carpenter is the word tecton, and tecton can also be translated stonemason, which makes all the sense in the world to me. If you've ever been to Israel, dude, that's a rocky place. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's rocks everywhere. The Jews actually have a joke. In Israel, they say when God created the world, he, had, he created nine bags of rocks, and eight of them he dropped in Israel. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, if you've ever been in that country, you know there's a lot of stone there. And honestly, not a lot of trees. So I'm sure Jesus grew up cutting stone for foundations, uh, cutting stones to build houses, all that kind of stuff. Man, he worked with wood his whole life, which is kind of cool. So he knew what that was like. He knew sometime the wood comes in exactly the right length, and sometimes it does not. We should have got this off from Ace Hardware, right, Rand? You know what I'm saying, bro? Okay. Personally, uh, I'm more of a chainsaw guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let's crank it up, rip one. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus grew up, man, around hard work. He knew what that was like, loved it, did his part. You know, we don't have a lot of information about Jesus as a young man. Uh, we, we know what he was doing when he was 12. He was like the uh, prodigy at synagogue school. He astounded the teachers in Jerusalem. That was awesome. But from 12 to about 30, we just honestly don't know a lot about his life. And then his stepdad, Joseph, you know, last time we hear about him, uh, Jesus is 12, and then Joseph just kind of falls off the scene. We never hear anything else about him. And here's what I think. I think from the time Jesus was 12 until he was about 30, he worked in the construction business. That's what he did. That's how he made a living. That's how he took care of his mom. And his brothers and his sisters, you know, Jesus had a number of brothers and sisters, and that's how he took care of them. 
You know, they say if you hit the wrong nail often enough, you learn how to hit the right nail. I might be doing that right now in front of y'all. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, you know, as far as we know, there are no construction projects in the Middle East that says, built by Jesus of Nazareth. But he worked in construction from the time he was 12 until he's 30 years old when he started his ministry. Now, that's most of his life. I mean, you think about it. What do you think he did all that time? All that time he was working in construction. I think God used that in a really powerful way in Jesus' life. And I'll tell you why. When Jesus started his ministry, he started it in a place called Nazareth, his hometown. And he announced, I guess, to the folks in the synagogue where he grew up, that he was going to be leaving the construction business. Did y'all see that board move out from under me there? He was going to leave the construction business, and he was going to go into the ministry. And people started asking him, dude, what in the world are you talking about? Going in the ministry. What are you going to do? And it's ironic that the minute they asked that question, bam, he had an answer. He told them, he said, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the good news. I'm going to preach the good news to the poor. I'm going to proclaim freedom to the captive, to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the oppressed. I'm going to proclaim the, I'm going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Bam. First time anybody even asked him what his plan was, he had a plan. Where do you think he worked that out? You think Jesus just, you know, God gave it to him like a bolt of lightning? I don't think so. I think while Jesus was working in the construction business, he had a lot of opportunities to realize that his skills could make a huge difference. Don't you know Jesus would walk up to some old nasty-looking ramshackle building sometime and think, I can fix that. I got the skills. I got the tools. Dude, I got the ability. I can fix that. You wonder if he ever you know, saw some young couple like his mom and dad, you know, they were in Nazareth, got a little baby, got no money, you know, and they are living in this nasty looking place and Jesus is like, I can help with this. You know, I can help with this. You wonder if he worked out that blueprint for his ministry while he was working on the blueprint for other stuff. Kind of cool. There was a time when somebody asked Jesus one time, Jesus, why do you hang out with such crummy people? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Why do you hang out with these folks with problems, man? Jesus loved crummy people. Can I get an amen? amen. Aren't you glad? <laughs> That's right. He loved people with problems, man. And I wonder if it's because he was used to seeing, um, he was used to seeing this in the construction business. But somebody asked him one time, why do, why do you hang out with these kind of folks? And Jesus had the best answer. He said, you know, it's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick. And let me tell you, if the construction business is anything in his day like it is in our day, he saw a lot of people who had made bad decisions, who had built their life on the wrong blueprint and messed it up and needed a major renovation. And he knew how to do that. You know, it's interesting. Jesus was telling his friends one time, he said, I'm going to build my church 
and I'm going to build it on a foundation of solid rock. And I'm going to build it so strong that it's going to last forever. It'll be on the rock. Wind won't bother it. Rain won't bother it. Storms won't bother it. It will last. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. And you're sitting in a church right now that goes all the way back to the church that he founded in the New Testament. And this church has been through persecution. It's been through trials. It's been through liberalism. It's been through legalism. It has survived through everything. And friends, it's surviving today. I mean, through this terrible year with COVID and, and all the you know, racial unrest and the political unrest and the violence and everything else, man, our church has been rock solid. We've given out tens of thousands of bags of food to people in need. We've counseled people. We've helped them save their marriages because, you know, dark, bad things go in the dark, right? And people in isolation have gotten into some bad stuff. And just like Jesus was reaching out to people who were physically and spiritually broken back in the day, his church is still doing that in our day. And friends, let me tell you something. Everybody, I think, wants to be a part of something serious, something that makes a difference, something that makes things right. And if that's the way you are, you ought to think about being a part of the church that Jesus built. Now, I'm not foolish enough to think that there are not, you know, lots of folks here today who have been deeply disappointed by the church in the past. Maybe some pastor hurt your feelings. Maybe some church let you down. And I get that. You know, the church would be perfect if it wasn't for people. Can I hear amen? amen. But you know, our church... We try to be one of those churches where nobody poses, nobody pretends. We just admit up front we are imperfect people who are trying to serve a perfect Savior. And so, friends, our God chose for Jesus to be born, you know, to arrive in a manger, and he chose for his son to thrive in a carpenter shop. And I'll tell you the reason he did that. It's because he chose for his son to die on a cross. It's pretty amazing. You know, there's an ironic part of the Christmas story that we hardly ever talk about. When Jesus was about a week old, his mom and dad took him to the temple to dedicate him, right? And two old people ran up to Joseph and Mary and said, this baby is the Messiah. And one of them was an old man by the name of Simeon. He was a prophet. And the other one was an elderly, mature woman, long in years. She was also a prophet. And you know, when Simeon saw that baby, he was like, Lord, take me home. I'm ready to go. And Joseph and Mary were like, what are you talking about, old man? I mean, sir. And, and he said, listen, God promised me that I would not die until I saw the Messiah. And when you walked up, the Lord let me know this baby, this baby is going to be the savior of the world. You know, Messiah means the chosen one that God promised all the way back in Genesis chapter three that he would send to save the world. This baby is the one. And then he turned to Mary and said, Mary, you need to know. He's going to save the world, but it's going to kill you to watch it. It's going to be very painful for you, and it's going to be very painful for him. But what he does is going to make a way for everybody who ever lives to be saved. And they're just like, what in the world? And then a few minutes later, here comes this little lady. She runs up and goes, oh, let me see that baby. Listen, this baby is going to be the redeemer of the people of God. They're like, what? Yeah. You know, we've all chosen sin. We all, we like sheep have gone astray. We've all chosen our own way. But God is going to use this baby to redeem us, to save us, to bring us back to himself. And man, Joseph and Mary and Anna and Simeon were just filled with hope. 
because they knew that God chose to reach out through Jesus in a way that he could just say, I see you, I love you, I am choosing to save you. Now, this is the most ironic thing about the Christmas story. From the manger, there is a cross looming over the life of Jesus, his entire life. His substitutionary death for our sins is why we can all be forgiven today. His miraculous resurrection is why you have the hope of heaven. Listen, man, if you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, you know, nobody wants to die today, but I'll tell you what, I'm one heart attack away from heaven, amen? Listen, man, I can lay that motorcycle down on Abercorn Street, be in heaven tomorrow. The only reason you should believe that is because you put your faith in somebody who died on a cross for you. Now, friends, the fact that God chose Jesus to arrive in a manger and thrive in the hardship of a world just like ours and then die on a cruel cross and rise again is because it is the most dramatic possible way for him to say, I see you. I love you. I care about you. I choose you. And because I do, I have chosen to make a way for you, and I want you to know about it. And friends, if you put your faith in Jesus, I'm telling you, that message should bring you a lot of hope. Now, I want to end this today by showing you a video. This video hit Instagram last February, uh, right before COVID. And the lady who posted this is a really devout follower of Jesus who lives up in Rhode Island. And she posted this video because she believes that God chose her and her little boy to give a message of hope to a man who desperately needed it. Y'all take a look at this. At 7 o'clock Saturday night, Lindsay Sheely says her family ordered food from Wicked Good Pizza in West Warwick. A man by the name of Ryan was their delivery man. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it. You. Enjoy. Have a good night. Their pizza money exchange was caught on camera, and it's priceless. And as Ryan was walking away, my son just bolted past me, ran out the door and put his arms up and just gave Ryan a big hug, which Ryan just, you know, leaned into. It was really cute, really sweet. My son even tried to give him a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that awesome? The little boy want to give the pizza man a hug. You know, if you knew the rest of that story, you'd know it really is awesome. The guy's name is Brian. He found out about uh, that video because uh, Lindsay, the woman uh, whose little boy ran out to him, put it on social media that night. And when Brian got finished with his shift at the pizza place, he called and said, man, can I get a copy of that? And Lindsay's like, well, of course. He wanted to put it on his Facebook page. And so, you know, they go back and forth like this. And, and finally, Lindsay's like, why, why does this mean so much to you? And he said, man, if I, I could not tell you what your son's hug meant to me. He said, last week, my 16-year-old daughter died. Suddenly, unexpectedly died. And the grief has just about crushed me. I mean, I'm just trying to make it through the day. My friends are all saying, man, how you doing? And I'm like, you know, the thing I miss the most are my daughter's hugs. I would love to have one more hug for my daughter. And he said, you know what? I think somebody sent me one through your son. And so here you got this hollowed out guy who's far, far, far from God, smiling on the outside, but just hurting on the inside, grinding through his shift delivering pizzas. When all of a sudden a message of hope a message of love comes to him through the hug of a child. Now, what he, what he said was, I think the universe sent me a hug for my daughter. The universe. Dude, the universe is inanimate. But there is a God who sees and knows and loves and wants you to know it. I think the reason we resonate so much with that story is because we've all struggled. And at Christmas, we are all reminded that there's a hope 
that we have because Jesus chose to arrive in a world and live and die on a cross for our sin so that we would all know that he loves us, he sees us, he cares about us, he chooses us. And if you have not chosen him, don't run off the porch like that pizza guy. Slow down. Think about it. Take one step closer to the God who took a step closer to you at Christmas. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to be together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you, Lord, for all that Jesus did on our behalf when he came to the manger and lived, Lord, in the hardship of our world and then died on that cross and rose from the dead. And I pray, God, that there will be folks who are sitting here or watching online today who will realize that this is the thing that all history pivots on. And I pray, God, that they will choose the Jesus who chose to come from them. And we pray this in Christ's strong name. And all God's people said, amen. Merry Christmas, everybody.